So I would say I love Christmas, um, but I feel like I can't because there's people around me who are just like crazy about it, right? Like absolutely, you know the people, there are those people that love Disneyland and you go and you're like, I mean, I like it, but you're crazy, right? And there are those people in Christmas, the people that you, you like it and you enjoy being around family and you enjoy all the culture around it, but these people just get crazy. They wear sweaters and light necklaces and all of those kinds of things. But I never t- totally knew what Christmas was really about. I was a little bit like Charlie Brown, like, what is the point of all of this um, in the end? And then when I actually became what I now would call a Christian, it began to make sense. And one of the things I do love about Christmas is the meaning that Christmas carols have come to mean for me now that I understand what I was actually singing. And one of the Christmas carols that I really really love is Isaac Watts' carol, Joy to the World. We'll sing a version of it a bit later, but there's this phrase in Joy to the World where he says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Now, one reason I love Joy to the World is because I remember as a little kid, if somebody had said to me, do you know the song Joy to the World? I would have remembered the song that said Jeremiah was a bullfrog, which actually goes on and says, joy to the world, all the boys and girls now, joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, right? Joy to UNC, you guys know it too. That's all I knew. So I was like, joy to the world, I love that song. That's a Christmas song? Well, then it was like, no, there's actually a Christmas carol called Joy to the World. Well, now I love the real joy to the world, and this is one of the reasons. He rules the world, that's God, with truth and with grace, and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. When I hear the song, I begin to hum it. What I really like about this verse is when you sing the song, you sing the phrase, wonders of his love, three times. And the wonders of his love, and the wonders of his love. And then it gets to that point, and the wonders, wonders of his love. So those who were writing it so that we would sing it wanted to emphasize the phrase, wonders of his love. The word wonder means astonishment. It's this notion of curiosity, something that has to be unfolded, that's deeper than just the word itself. And the word is love. Christmas is all about the wonders of God's love. Now, too often times we can just hear that song on the radio or hear it in a mall or sing it in a church and we forget the wonders of God. God's, God, God's love. So I wanted to step back and say, well, if Christmas is all about the wonders of God's love, what's a place we could land our feet to expound the wonders of God's love? And I think it's one of the most famous Bible verses that our culture or the world knows, John 3.16, which says this, because it speaks about God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now this verse is popular for many different reasons. If you grew up around the church, you memorize it very young. But if you're my age or maybe a bit older, you remember if you watched football, this guy, the rainbow hair guy. 
And the rainbow-haired guy would get into games many different ways. He'd wear a shirt that said John 3.16, and then he'd flash a sign, like right behind the goalpost that said John 3.16. I remember as a kid, my family, I didn't grow up in the church. My family would have said we were Christians. My dad's an iconic baseball coach, and I make the joke often that we were a baseball family first. Baseball is the American pastime, and Americans are Christians. That was the extent of our Christianity. People would say Christmas and Easter Christians. But my dad had some background that when this guy would show up drawn 316, literally, I mean, I can remember dozens of times he would leave the couch and he'd walk back to the back. Finally, one time I followed him back and he's looking in this old dusty Bible and he'd look up one verse, John 316, and he'd read it and he'd walk back. Now, a story to be told later, but this is absolutely amazing, is this guy almost entirely held up John 3.16. One time after I'd gone to college, the man held up a sign that was Romans 10.10. My dad said he went back, read the verse, and believed in Jesus for the first time personally, which is amazing. But there are other reasons that this verse is famous. If any of you women shop at Forever 21, this verse has been seen on the bottom of bags. And for all of us, who aren't vegan, love in and out, right? <laughs> On the bottom of a cup, John 3.16. So here's what I want to ask you. Why? Why did this man 99% of the time hold up John 3.16? Why did somebody at Forever 21 on some of the bags want to press this verse? Why do the owners of in and out want sometimes at it at the bottom of their cup? It's because this verse speaks loudly in a very succinct way. Max Lucado says this about this verse. It's a 26-word parade of hope. Beginning with God and ending with life. And urging us to do the same. That's urging us to begin with God and end with life. Brief enough to write on a napkin or to memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. Now that pretty much encompasses everybody in the room, right? There are people in this room who go, I know nothing about the Bible. Lucado says, start at this verse, John 3.16. Now there are others of us in the room who go, I feel like I know almost everything about the Bible. And Lucado doesn't go, well, you memorized it decades ago. He says, return to this verse. Because in this verse is a parade of hope that begins with God and ends with life. I would argue this verse tells us a lot about Christmas. So let's look at it and see what it does tell us about Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now this verse, in the full context that we read in 16 through 21, speak about the backdrop of Christmas. You could say the context, the scene in which God shows up in. And it's spoken to in this word, perish, which is a word most of us don't like or really would rather ignore. It really does mean death. It speaks of destructive elements. The language that's spoken of in the whole context that Elisha read from 16 to 21 is this context of darkness, 
which is why the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4 takes up the language of Isaiah in the Old Testament when it says, those who were dwelling in darkness, which the Bible says is all of us, have seen a great light. The Gospel of John, in which John 3.16 is in, speaks often of darkness in contrast to light, or light in contrast to darkness. Darkness has to do with death, therefore the word perish. Light has to do with life. The backdrop in which God arrives, the backdrop of Christmas is a backdrop of darkness, that the world we live in is a world that deep in every one of our souls, deep in the deepest parts of who we are, every one of us, whether you believe or you don't believe, deep inside, no, something's screwed up. The world's hard to just show up here at 11 a.m. for a Christmas service, caused, can I get an amen, fights and quarrels, arguments, elevated voices, confusion over what we may wear or not wear, this deep, but it's Christmas, guys. Like, stop fighting and quarreling, we're saying as we drive to this place. It's very apparent things are messed up. We can read the papers and tsunamis hit Indonesia. Questions about our government, the reality of how people treat one another is that darkness is all around us, but we can never forget what wise people of old have always said, which the Bible speaks to very clearly, is that darkness and death is not just out there, but it runs through the heart of each one of us. The Bible calls this sin, and the consequences of sin are perilous, they're disastrous, they lead to perishing. And many people don't like this either, is that there is a danger in Christmas, that if we don't recognize that the light has come, there is consequences to this. But many of us don't like it, but we understand it, and here's what I mean. When you love something so much, you hate that which destroys it. If you're in this room and you have children, and your children are beginning to do things that you know are disastrous to them, you love your child so much, you hate that which is destroying them. If you're a child in this room, and you have a parent who's addicted to anything, you hate the addiction, and you do anything to destroy it. Anything that you love, you hate that which destroys the beloved. Well, God so loved the world, he hates sin. He hates the sin that's in the world. He hates the sin that's in our families. He hates the sin that's in our communities. He hates the sin that's within us because he so loved the world. But we won't understand the extent of his love if we don't understand the backdrop of darkness. But then there's this movement of Christmas there's a backdrop, but then there's a movement into the darkness, and it's this movement of light, light, this movement of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, himself. God gave God into the world in human form. It's a movement of love. For God so loved the motivation of Christmas is the movement of Christmas, and it's love. God is action, and his action is love. Love starts from God. 1 John 4 says this, in this is love, not that we loved God, 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The movement begins and is sustained in God himself because God is love. The motivation of Christmas, the movement of Christmas is love for God so loved and he shows what love is. It's a giving at cost to himself. A giving of God into a world of darkness to display the light amongst the darkness. The giving of God himself to sacrifice for the sin we should be sacrificed for. He so loved us, he took upon himself that which we deserved. The backdrop is darkness, the movement of, is love, and then there is a very clear call to Christmas. There's a call to Christmas, a call that goes out to each one of us, every single one of us, a call that goes out to the whole world, but it specifically comes to you and to me. And the call is a call to believe. Though the light came into the world, this passage says in verses after, the world didn't understand it because it loved darkness and was scared to be in the light lest our deeds be exposed. And God is saying, I'm exposing your deeds to show that which is destroying you and to welcome you into the light, to welcome you into the truth, to welcome you into the way, to welcome you into abundant, eternal life. The call is believe. Repent and believe is the call of the Bible. Repent, what does that mean? It literally means turn around. Turn away from those things you are so convinced that if you get, will answer life's biggest problems. Folks, life's biggest problems aren't found in the next self-help book. They're not found in the next job you could get. They're not found in another spouse. They're not found in another family. They're not found in the next move. They're not found in the next way you'll be enlightened. They're not even found in getting in shape, though I advocate that. They're found in Christ. They're found in the one we were made by and for, Jesus himself. The call is to believe. There's a pastor in Redemption Church at Redemption Tempe named Josh Butler. He's written a couple books. Uh, his name goes by Joshua Ryan Butler. He wrote a book I love called The Pursuing God, which our bookstore right on the other side of the commons has, if any of you are interested in it. And in that book, he says this, God's divine grace bears down on us. Grace is God's moving love, his love that's moving towards us. God's divine grace bears down on us. Now, don't for a minute read into that that God is a U of A fan. He's not. Okay, ASU, right? How about that win last night? That was for real. God's divine grace bears down on us, calling us, calling the call of Christmas, calling us to turn and receive his love, calling you, return, turn and receive his love. As his footsteps draw closer, God moves towards us. The sound of his voice breaks through the silence and the light of his encroaching presence begins to pierce the darkness. 
The question we're then faced with is not whether we've been good enough. That's not the question, folks. If you're sitting in this room and you're going, oh man, I don't know. He's telling me to believe it. I don't know if I've been good enough. The question we're then faced with is not whether we've been good enough, jumped high enough or sought hard enough. The question is, do we want to be found? Do we want to come into the light? The call is, come into the light. Come to Christ. The backdrop is darkness. The movement is love. The call is believe. The promise, the promise is eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, is eternal life just living forever? Oh, it's way more than that. And it isn't just for tomorrow, though it is for tomorrow. Eternal life is eternal, which means it begins today. But what is it? Well, Jesus himself said this in John 17, verse 6. Now this is eternal life. Listen up. What's eternal life? This is eternal life, that they know you. This is a prayer. Jesus is praying to God. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only, not one among many, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What's the word for that? Intimacy. The God of the universe is offering us intimacy with himself. He's moving towards us that we might know him. Not know him cognitively, know him experientially, know him relationally, know the one you were made by and for, know the one who spoke the universe into existence and who upholds it by the word of his power, all because he came in the flesh as an invitation to each one of us, know me, know me. So what do we do with that? The call is to step in the light in belief. Amen? Let's pray that. Father, the wonders of your love as displayed to us in Christmas are nothing short of profound. And they're not profound because of the way we speak them or even the way that we hear them. They're profound because they're profound. The God of the universe entering into the world to fix this. God, speak belief. God, I can't conjure up belief and we can't even conjure it up for ourselves. So we pray that you would blow by the power of your Holy Spirit, blow belief in and through each one of us. God, faith is a gift. Grant the gift now, I pray. I pray for those of us who've known so much about the Bible that you'd give us faith and more faith today. I pray for those who know nothing of the Bible and who've known nothing of you. God, breathe salvation. Breathe belief into us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.